Hi, and welcome to the 25th episode of the Voice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sabolsky, founder of Ionia Healthcare Consulting, where we focus upon voice-first technologies and AI applications in healthcare delivery across the U.S. and the globe. I'm joined with my co-host, Reed McClellan, CEO and founder of a company called Cortina Health, an artificial intelligence healthcare company. Today, we have three special guests. Dr. Antonia Chen from Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, Dr. Stephen Haas from the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City, and Dr. Torsten Seiler from Duke University located in Durham, North Carolina. Before we begin, a brief word from our sponsor. Do all your notes look the same? We all know that the most common solution for medical notes is typing with cut and paste templates, but we also know this doesn't lead to a good quality note. Meet the AI-powered, voice-enabled digital assistant for doctors. Meet Suki. Get your notes done in 76% less time, but also create a better note. By losing the keyboard in your voice, you get high-quality notes into the system faster, resulting in reduced billing errors and better communication with the rest of the healthcare team. Go to get.suki.ai to learn more. That's get.suki.ai. We'll start this episode with brief introductions from each guest. I'm Stephen Haas. I'm uh, the chief of the knee service uh, at the Hospital for Special Surgery located in Ground Zero, of Pandemic USA, New York, New York. I'm Antonia Chen. I'm an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee replacement. I'm at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and we are probably third when it comes to central COVID-19. I'm Torsten Seiler. I'm a hip and knee surgeon at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and we so far have been spared from, for the most of it, from COVID-19. We'll start the podcast discussing the main focus of work for each of these experts, the second half of the podcast will mostly spend time on COVID and the pandemic therein. So starting with Dr. Chen, tell us a little bit about your work, tell us what you're focused on, and then we'll make a round robin thereafter. Well, as an orthopedic surgeon, the nice thing about incorporating AI and technology into our work today is that there's many different facets we can utilize it. One area that I would say in regards to reducing revisions that we talked about is how do we make our practices smarter? We do this from a radiology perspective. So I definitely use AI and collaborate with some individuals to look at radiographs, not just at the hip and knee, which we look at specifically, but other areas around it, but also using AI to diagnose or utilize AI to identify implants, which we can't do as well with the human eye. An area of interest for myself and Thorsten is infections. And so we're using technology to detect infections earlier because we know that earlier detection is earlier treatment, which is better outcome for patients. So this is done with sensors, sometimes either placed in the skin, placed inside implants themselves. And when it comes to technology, another area that I'm interested in investigating is when do implants fail? So when we look at technology today, when I can tell an implant's failing, my biggest indicator is a patient coming in with pain after getting an implant placed in. It's not a very sensitive indicator by far. So people are developing what we call smart implants where you're putting in technology into implants themselves that can detect these problems of loosening beforehand so we can utilize those in regular everyday practices. This is Steve Hassan, and I I couldn't agree with you more. I I think the the future really is in technology and technology from Numerous ways, uh, you know. The I think the idea of implantable smart implants is that it has has huge potential in identifying 
you can start off with the biomechanics of knees and why they fail, but you also can monitor patients much better. We're going to be doing much of our uh, care has to be much more cost effective in the way that we, if we monitor them from afar, uh, that would be far superior. We could identify the patients who need more. Yeah, I, you would know much more about this than I do because you're the infection gurus here, but uh, I could imagine implants that someday we'll be able to pick up infections before we know they're infected. They'd be self-diagnosing type implants. Also, if, if you look at it, there's some areas that, that are so you know, fundamental. If you think of what we lack in, and there's such a need for technology, we're just beginning to scratch the surface on that. If you think about it, we don't balance a knee until maybe more the last five years any differently than John Ensel did it 30 years ago. It's, I think this is good. And we don't know if what we think is balanced stays the same balanced two months later, two years later, which patients loosen, which patients don't loosen. We don't, we haven't had objective ways. I think with the sensor technology, with robotics, um, we will gain insight to know how we should treat various different patients and, and really go to individualizing the patient. And that doesn't even begin to say using the big data that we are deriving or could derive from all these technologies. This is Torsten, and I, I think I agree with both of you guys, and, and I think Antonio is spot on. If you look at the use of AI in, in healthcare, I think the area that we're most advanced is the imaging area. There are advanced algorithms available that at this point even read at an accuracy that succeeds the average radiologist. So I think this is a huge area for an orthopedic surgeon that uses x-ray every day to follow patients, to diagnose patients, determine their readiness for surgery to say that, hey, we're, we're reaching this point where you're probably going to be a candidate for, for total joint replacement, and you can incorporate that on a telemedicine platform. You can get x-rays anywhere, and the AI reads it and then refers to patient. Um, a personal interest of mine where I use AI and machine learning is in predicting outcomes. Um, we have been for the past three years been working on projects trying to predict length of stay, cost overrun in a, in a bundled episode, uh, predicting adverse events such as readmission, ED visits, um, or discharge disposition. The challenge there is your machine learning models depend on the accuracy of the data that you feed into the model, also accurate coding, and then the event rate for this, especially in orthopedics for elective surgery, is fairly small, so you need large numbers to get accurate models. Um, but I think that, that has a tremendous um, opportunity in that area when it comes to AI. If you talk about technology in orthopedics, and I, I don't think... I think Steve mentioned it going there. It's like I think one area that we really have come a long way and that we're making rapid improvements is using robotics sensors I, I, to balance the knee, using robotics to do the cuts. I think these areas are uh, extremely fast-growing areas with companies diving into it and rapidly releasing new technologies. Reducing Revisions Conference, uh, we talked a lot about this kind of edge of the circle research, the things that you all have just mentioned and what you're excited about. 
of what you've just discussed, what would you say to those listening, uh, patients, providers, technicians, do you think is the most tangible, right? Like just right on the edge of the circle of we're going to, this thing is about to be uh, across the country and available in all markets. And why are you excited about that particular piece of technology? I think what is readily available at this point in most of the hospitals, I would say the market penetration is close to like 50, 60% now is some type of robotic technology or navigation technology that's available for implant placement. I think that that is something that patients can have a conversation with a provider about the benefits and the risk with that. But that is fairly well penetrated in the orthopedic market. And then if you if you go and shift to value-based environment and look at what is available there, there are several companies, smaller companies and platforms that offer AI technologies or communication technologies to providers to interact with patients. And that goes as far as as using televisits and uh, virtual follow-ups, and I think those are technologies that, in my opinion, are very, very exciting and something that comes in handy during this COVID-19 crisis as well. Yeah, I, I, I would follow up with that as well. I, I, I think the, um, you know, if you look at knee replacements and, and if you use the you know, combine robotics and other technology with like, uh, you know, accelerometer tech technologies uh, where you can uh, essentially improve your placement of, of the knee replacement. And, you know, some of them are obviously more expensive, some are less expensive, but some of that technology of one variety or another is going to be mainstream for everybody. I think, as you said, the penetration is high now, and I think well, that will continue to grow with the, with the next generation of, of orthopedic surgeons. I, I, I think you know, not all of them want to use large bore uh, or large um, robots, but many of them do. And many of them also want to use handheld devices. I, and they're very comfortable. And I see our fellows going out and all wanting to use uh, that kind of technology. So I, I think that has a lot. And uh, I would also agree that the whole platform of, uh, of telemedicine, having done my first new patients and follow-ups over the last uh uh, two days, actually, um, you know, it's amazing the connection you have on the patient and, and very different from a phone call. You can interact and, and I, I couldn't believe how gratified the patients seem to be and thankful by having an interaction via uh, a, you know, Zoom or, or Skype type uh, conversation with them. Um, and I think that was very meaningful. And that, that technology will only be better when we can monitor our post-op patients that way and have sensor technology that we can examine them from afar. So I agree with all these wonderful innovations that we have. I think the hardest thing to keep in mind here are costs. So as we become more cost conscious, we have to ensure that all these technologies have a value to them. So I agree, you know, we ourselves have a robotic system and I think all of our hospitals have some sort of robotic system that we're utilizing or you know, some sort of navigation technology system. The hardest part is right now is we don't know if in the long run that actually translates to better outcomes. I think it has more precision, but doesn't necessarily have longer, um, longer track records yet because we just need more time to follow these. So anything that makes our lives easier and makes our patients' lives easier, I think is what we're going for. So the reason I caught on Torsten earlier is because I think there's a push towards what we call personalized medicine. And personalized medicine, we know, is a huge 
term that's used throughout of the healthcare sector. But in orthopedics, it's not really used as much because anytime we use anything that's, quote, personalized, it's normally more expensive. For example, patient-specific instrumentation, that was a big technology push where you would make implants that are specific to a patient. But the downside of it is an expensive technology, and it would take six months to make or six weeks to make a prosthesis or cutting jig specific to the patient. So as long as we balance the two of them, um, I think the technology with regards to robotics and things like that will continue um, to pick up. But the personalized medicine aspect is, you know, how do we do a joint replacement in a patient, or should we even do a joint replacement in a patient? And we're using intelligence algorithms to determine that. And people collect things called patient-reported outcomes. And typically, patient-reported outcomes were collected for research purposes. You would utilize them and say, look, a patient's doing better based on X, Y, and Z procedure or comparing to procedures or implants or whatever. And that would be a metric of outcome. But more importantly, people are actually using PROMs outside of hip and knee replacements to say, you know, your patient-reported outcomes are so good that we predict that you're not going to do as well after surgery. So they're actually using it to scale surgery as well, too, which is actually a very interesting step, which I think could become part of our practice in the near future. So we've we've talked a, a little bit about the OR suite and, and where you guys see technology advancing uh, in the operating room. But, uh, Stephen, I believe it was you who was mentioning a little bit about more of the clinical setting, both preoperatively and postoperatively, uh, how to tell about balance and the likes. Where do each of you guys see the future really going from the clinical standpoint, especially when we now have more and more access to remote uh, following up of patients? Well, obviously, I think that that's going to be a... a uh, important area. I think uh, Thurston, I think, has uh, done work on this. Uh, are you, I think, participating in, in the uh, one of the trials with the with the uh, Apple system? I, or aren't you doing that, Thurston? Yeah, I, we participate in the Apple iWatch uh, study with the similar biomat. Um, Steve is right. So remote monitoring is more and more prevalent in our community, but I think simple tools like uh, a video visit as a monitor, as a follow-up, where a patient doesn't have to leave an environment, they can do it from work, they take a 15-minute break, they log in, you talk to them, you see them, it, it, it has tremendous value. Um, I've been doing video visits for a little bit over a year now, and I use this as an adjunct to my regular clinic. So I use it at the end of the day. I finish regular clinic around 4, uh, take about a 30-minute break, and then do video visits. It's something that is very popular among young professionals. So some, they, they go home or they just finish work. Um, they're still in the office. They, they log in. You talk to them. You get tremendous feedback from that, and I think it's very convenient, and it's a good way to connect with patients. I think that is, to me, is, is super exciting. It's just that I think we have ways to go to um, improve that technology. Um, I struggle personally, struggle with like displaying images to go over MRI findings with patients um, because I like to illustrate that to a patient rather than just talking about the results. So I think there's still room for improvement, but I think the technology and the ideas behind it is very exciting. 
Dr. We've Jim. also instituted oh, to yeah, we've also instituted um, post-operative care from multiple different platforms. Um, but more importantly, from a patient engagement perspective, we've noticed that more touch points are important to patients and also necessary for certain patients. So, for example, we've gotten more, we've pushed more and more towards outpatient surgery. Um, and that's been an impetus of the Center of Medicare Services, or CMS, Medicare Medicaid Services. And they've really pushed for outpatient surgery for total knee, and total hip is going to be next on the docket. So as they go to the outpatient setting, you notice that we have to set up more before patients, more for patients ahead of surgery, so prehabilitation. And then postoperatively, we need to check on them to make sure that they're doing well, that their heart, their lungs, their breathing is okay. But on top of that, their pain levels are acceptable. They're doing their exercises, et cetera. So as we mobilize patients sooner and faster, we've noticed that in using these virtual platforms are actually necessary from a perspective of patients reaching out to us and always feeling that they're in touch with their care team. So messaging is one, and to Thorsten's point, he says video and phone calls are all great. Um, providing exercises. So people, for example, go to physical therapy only two or three times a week maximum. Well, by giving them exercises, you're encouraging patients to do exercises on a daily basis, which we've seen a difference in terms of their outcomes, in terms of range of motion, strength, et cetera. Three gives us a platform to do things like examine their wounds. So if the patient says, you know, it looks a little bit redder than before, we can get on a video or get a picture and take a look at it and see how they're doing. So there's multiple points that we can reach out to patients and not only after surgery, but also before surgery. And it again, encourages their rehabilitation and improves their outcome. So there are more and more platforms that do this. I think in the future, it's going to do things like look at patients' opioid requirements. So People have looked at smart pill bottles, for example, where it actually counts the number of pills that are removed from it so that I, I know as a provider how many opioids the patient's actually taking and if they actually need more opioids and to make sure they're slowing down on their opioids so they don't become addicted to it after surgery. So there's a lot of different ways we can use technology to ensure a better transition from the hospital to the home care setting. Yeah, you know, if you look at technology, um, I think many of these technologies offer uh, what really has been missing in medicine. You know, if you, if you look at business and you say, what has technology done? Well, technology in, in, in most sectors of the world makes things better and more cost-effective. I mean, computers came along, they made business much more, you know, uh, capable to do things at much lower cost. Automation did that, obviously, as well. In medicine, most technology has led to higher cost. It may have been better result, but higher cost. Whereas I think many of these technologies are going to do exactly what they did in business. You know, if you're able to monitor patients um, as an outpatient, and, and again, I think that we're starting, you know, the beginning of this is what they're doing with, the, with uh, the iPhone and Apple Watch and things like that. But I think the future will be more with, with passive monitoring. It's going to be a passive way that you'll be able to monitor, keep track of them. You'll be, you'll have a, you know, this, the, on your computer dashboard and it will identify the parameters and people that are outside the parameters will be automatically picked up um, and you will be able to put less resources or as we were talking about personalized medicine, personalize all aspects. If you have the information on the patient, you know, you can, you can customize our care. We, we've all seen the patient who shows up at six weeks post-op and 
they're not bending their knee. And you, you wish you had known that at two weeks. And many doctors will see them back at uh, their patients back at two weeks. We contact them all and have communication, but it, it is quite amazing how you don't have the, the accurate information to make a decision. So I think the idea that it could be more cost-effective and more information, better research, so we can more and more individualize uh, with these technologies. Don't miss the next episode of the Voice of Healthcare podcast, episode 26, with all three guests discussing the COVID-19 response in their respective cities and organizations. (laughs) 